Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. All right, let me read you 2 Kings. So we're now in the ministry of Elisha, not Elijah. And he's the, he was the guy that, that was mentored by Elijah. And we catch him in 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha, mind you, uh, did more miracles than Elijah. Interestingly, Elijah's ministry starts with him declaring that there would be a famine in the land and, uh, and a drought, a drought in the land. And, and Elisha's ministry is the opposite. He actually uh, has a miracle where he causes the water and the river to come. And so he really is distinguished as having a lot of miracles. And we're going to talk about one of those miracles tonight. And when you think about miracles, do you ever wonder, like, why does God just put so many of them in his word. And I know you can look up those reasons and of course they magnify God and, and they help us to understand that he is not like us, like God is powerful and able. But I, honestly, I think a lot of it is just showing him, showing his goodness to his people. And so there's a lot of modern day debates now. Does God still perform the same kind of miracles as he did in the Old Testament or in the day of Jesus? And, you know, granted, we are not seeing the exact type of things that happened then. And there's a lot of theological opinion on that. But I believe with all of my heart that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God who, who does the miracles that we read about here in the Old Testament is the God who is active and alive in our life. And so I think that it's important when we come into a text like this, of course, to understand some of the spiritual, spiritual lessons that are gleaned, but also just to take face value, a reminder of who our God is. And I think for us to stand unshaken, there has to be a growing confidence in the character and the person of the Lord. And that's really our confidence. It's not that we're getting strong. Stronger. It's that we're understanding him better and that we're putting our faith in him more. And the more grounded and rooted we are in who he is, the greater our ability to walk confidently in our life no matter what happens. And so here's the verses, and you'll see that this is a woman much like us who it sounds like she was a believer, a follower. You're going to see why in a second. And you're going to see that she was still, despite the fact that she uh, was serving the Lord, her and her husband were serving the Lord, they were suffering immensely. So the scripture in 2 Kings 4, 1 says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. You see why I made that conclusion? Because she's the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. And, and she says to him, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and none too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. 
The sons brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So this is awesome. This is an immense miracle happens. And I totally understand and believe I've been in churches where this is a very popular text during financial campaigns. And the idea is like you give God everything and he just gives you everything back. And it's often been used wrongly to sort of, you know, encourage you to sort of step out in faith. Maybe not wrongly. Actually, I should take that back. It's used in that context, but I think it, it applies to so much more than just money. I want to give you a couple of principles here. We usually do three biblical principles principles and I'll tease out the text as we go through. So we're talking about being unshaken when I desperately need a miracle. This woman desperately needed a miracle. Her problem, when you really step back and you say, what was her problem? She was being asked to give more than she had. All right. It was a debt she owed. The creditors came and whatever her husband had done, first of all, he feared the Lord. He loved God. He served God. He was a prophet. He knew Elisha. He had, he was in the service of Elisha. So this was not a bad man, but for whatever reason, he had accrued debt. So had he overdrawn himself? Was he a bad manager of money? Was it just a situation? They had just come out of a, of a time of famine and was it just life circumstances he had planned and he didn't have enough and he had to take some debt. And now he's gone and here Here's this woman who is facing this huge trial in her life. But when push comes to shove, what the trial is and how you and I can connect to the story is that she is in a situation where she's being asked to give more than she had. And when you are in that place where we, we are being asked to give more than we have, often or most of the time, we need a miracle. And so that can apply, by the way, not just to money. Money's an easy example of that. But there's so many other areas that you can apply this in. You can apply this in uh, uh, with things like your time. Many, many, many moms in particular, but dads and moms and, and parents are feeling that strain right now. You're in the house working, but that just means you're working more than you used to. And now your kids are homeschooled, so now you're supposed to help them. And most people joke like they can't even, I can't even remember second grade math. I don't know how you would help your kids. And so there's layers to the demands on your time where when you look at 2020 going into the fall now of the new year, you go, man, I cannot split myself in any more pieces. I desperately need a miracle. You can have an emotional need where somebody's drawing on you. Maybe you're walking with family members right now that are going through some immense emotional stuff. And so they're pulling on you and demanding from you more than you yourself have. You have some, some reserve, but not as much as being asked to give. So your tension, your point of miracle might not be financial. It might not be in your time. It might be in your emotional life that you just need the Lord to fill you up faster than what's coming out to the people in your life. It could be an issue of patience where you're being asked to wait patiently more than what you have. You have only so much patience. I understand that. And you're being asked because it's the circumstances of life. But the truth of it is we're all being stretched with patience. We're being asked to be patient more than we have. And so you can apply this. It could be in the area of your ministry. You're being asked to produce more than you feel like you can produce. Maybe vision, maybe the area of vision for your life. People want to know, well, what do you see coming up? And you just adjust. I'm being asked to give more than I currently have. That is a place where we need a miracle. 
So this isn't just about money, but in her situation, this creditor needed money. And if he, if she couldn't pay up, they would take her sons and put them in slavery. This was common practice in that day. And so she does what every good Christian should do. She goes to the man of God, who remember the prophet was sort of a represent, representative of God. And so she went to him in faith and granted she was afraid. We're going to see in a minute how she navigated this whole thing. Uh, but, but I want to give you the first point in tonight's teaching, which is this. Even godly people get to the place where they desperately need a miracle. We think if we're just godly enough, if we just live well enough, if we just don't sin, if we just, we have a list of things. If we think if I just can, can go to church enough time, read my Bibles enough time, journal, enough, you know, one Bible, read it multiple times. The point is we think we can somehow become so godly and so in tune with God that we no longer feel the strain of suffering. But we've learned, haven't we? And if anything, in this series, as we started going through uh, from since March, we started doing this Unshaken series. There's what I think this is number 17 in the teachings. And we've seen a pattern that even godly people get to the point in our lives where we desperately need a miracle, where we're being asked to give more than we can more than we have and so the most painful place to live is that place where I find myself desperately in need of a miracle of course that's where all of these questions about God are you there do you care about what's happening this isn't fair those are the three most common questions that every Christian will ask I think Jill Briscoe is the one who, who I first heard say that and has written about that and I've adopted it give her full credit but the three basic questions that every Christian asks that are sort of points of crisis in our faith is God, are you really there? Do you care? And is this fair? Three questions. If we can land biblically and, and on the correct side of God's character in answering these questions, I think we can face anything in life. But the hardest place is that place where I find myself desperately need a miracle and wondering what is going to happen to me now. The hardest place to look for a miracle is the place where it feels like I've done my part, but God has not done his, and I'll add yet. And so here's this woman, her husband had been godly, he had been serving the Lord. And so in a sense, maybe she anticipated that she should, should not be suffering to this point. But, but, but it's even harder when you're facing a miracle to be like, well, what else do you want, God? Like, I've done everything you wanted me to do. And that has, um, I've written about that myself a lot because that has been sort of this underlying reel of lies from Satan in my life that I've had to sort of, the Lord has had to defeat and, and sort of overcome this idea that, that we think that just because I've done my part, God, you haven't done yours. That, that's blasphemous. First of all, God has done his, but that's when our perspective, we need new glasses because we're not seeing clearly. And so this woman comes to Elijah, Elisha, and, and again, she goes to the right place and she presents this problem to him. And he says to her, what, what do you got? And, and, and again, we've, I think we've, we've had another story very similar to this, I believe, with Elijah, when he was at the widow's house. He says, I got nothing but. And we always, every one of us does this. We all think that we've got nothing, right? I mean, well, how much time do you have? I don't have any time. Well, well how much emotional reserve do you have? I don't have any time, any emotional reserve. Well, can you, can you, can you, how much can you give financially? Well, I got no extra money. And that's our first go-to is we always assume that we've got nothing there. And so she says, oh, I've got I've nothing but a jar of oil. And in her estimation, it's nothing. She's like, I got one little jar of oil. She's taken, she's forgotten to take into account that God is less interested in how much she has, but what she does with what she has. And so um, here's point number two. Even godly people lose sight of what's needed for a miracle to happen. Even godly people lose sight of what's needed for a miracle to happen. You don't need a lot of jars of oils yet. I mean, she's going to go get them in a minute. But 
All she needs is, in fact, I, I, I jotted this down on one of my walks. I was thinking about this. Do you know that fearlessness was not an ingredient for the miracle? We're going to see in a minute. She, fearlessness was not mandatory for the miracle. Obedience was. We're going to see that in a minute. And so God, you know, we, we think we have this idea of, I'm never going to see a miracle because I just don't think I believe enough. Like the man who says to Jesus, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's where I live most of the time. And, and so here's this woman, she comes to him and she really cannot see that she has anything that God can work with, but she does. Well, first of all, she's come to the right place and she's asking the right question. She's saying the right words. God, I need help. I can't. I don't have what's required here. I need a miracle. And she goes and asks the right person. And Elisha says, sir, what do you have? She says, I have nothing but a jar of oil. So he says, and here's the obedience part. He says, well, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Now, there is a humility factor here. For her to go to all the neighbors, picture it. She has to show up to every neighbor and be like, guys, this is, by the way, a, a difficult season of people don't have abundance. I mean, they're living, I mean, she has a little jar of oil. Her neighbors probably didn't have a whole lot either. And now she needs them to be emptied. So she has to literally go to her neighbors one by one and tell them the story. How humbling is that? And so there's a point where she has to decide, do I trust God and humble myself to do what he's asked me to do, even if it sounds ridiculous, even if I don't know why? Isn't that what obedience is? It's humbling yourself to submit to God's ways, even when I don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense to me. And so now she has to go and tell them, can I borrow a vessel? Can I borrow a vessel? None too few. So they just go across town and they just borrow as many as they can. And listen, she's not the only one involved here. Her sons are part of this gig too. And so maybe she sends the sons on one street, she's on the other. And so there's an entire family affected by this approach to faith. And so, so for a minute, she loses sight of what she needs, but God is going to show her what she needs. And so just some sub points here for you to jot down. When I don't have enough, I must go to the one who is more than enough. And so there's a recognition first when you're in this place where you just don't have enough. What we try to do is work harder. I find, in fact, I found myself in that cycle this week and I felt overwhelmed by the amount of preparation I had to do for different things. And, and I, in my mind, I started going on one of my walks and for literally the first mile, I was reviewing, okay, today I'll do this, tomorrow I'll do this, tomorrow. I think if I get these things done on that day, I kept replaying this like to-do list in my head. Do you ever do that? It's crazy. And literally a mile into it, I was like, wait, you're supposed to be here to pray. And so, and I was like, okay, I'll pray in a second. Let me just run through this one more time. And at some point, the Holy Spirit like shook me up. Right? And I was like, wait, wait, I need to go to the one who is more than enough. Do you know that you'll, you'll never humanly do it? This is our strategy is that I'll just come up with enough time, but there's only 24 hours a day. And he said, I'll come up with enough money, but there's only so many dollars in the bank and I'll come up with enough emotional patience, but there's only so many, so much patience in your soul. And so there comes a point where you have to stop trying so hard. That is the exhausted Christian life that's working, working, working and frustrated because you're never meeting what it is that you think you need and because you can't. The whole point of this place, this atmosphere that, that, that opens the door for a miracle is uh, the place where you realize that you need the Lord. And so rather than trying so hard to figure it out in your mind, if you could just stop and say, man, I got nothing but a jar of oil. Well, now she's told, okay, you've come to the one who's more than enough. And then here's an another thought. When I don't have enough, I must do exactly what God tells me to do. 
There's some things that we can do. Obedience opens doors that all the resources in the world never will. Think about that. If you do what God says, that obedience, that faithful obedience, so, so fearlessness is not an ingredient. You don't have to be fearless. Most people who have seen a miracle are not fearless, but they're faithfully obedient. Obedience says, I don't see it, but I trust God to fulfill his part of the bargain. And so she goes and knocks on door after door after door. And so when I don't have enough, I must give God only what's in my hand. That's all God wants is that jar of oil. Now, it's scary to give the last jar of oil you got in the house, isn't it? It's scary. By the way, he said to her, empty them. So it wasn't even, she couldn't even keep that oil. What did she do with it? She has no more jars because they're all lined up. So what did she put it in? This is not, she couldn't go out and buy a Rubbermaid container. Did she have to dump it out? I don't know where they put the oil. But in order for this miracle to happen, they had to bring jars of oil. He says, go outside, borrow vessels, empty vessels, and not too few. So what happened to the oil in her jar? Did she have to pour it out? In a minute, we're going to see that God filled her up, but we're not there yet. And so, so, so just some, uh, some, again, some, some ideas under this point. God wants only what I have. God isn't asking me to go out and get more than I want. In a case that she had to go get the other jars, but he wants you to start with what you have. And, and God does only what you can't. So there's a part God asks you to do only what you can do. So your part is to do your part of the equation. And then God does what you can never do. She could bring the vessels, but he had to fill them. She didn't have oil to fill them. By the way, she still didn't know how this would translate to paying the creditor. So what? you got a bunch of jars and now they're going to be full of oil. She hasn't gone. She hasn't thought through it. She doesn't have, we don't have the imagination to know the miracle that God might do because we're not there yet. We haven't lived it. And so it's only until the very end of the, of the section that I read where Elisha says to her, go sell the oil. Now you got what you need. Go sell the oil. So she still needs to do her part, but God has already done this. And God, here's a last thought about this. God fills only what we offer him. So whatever she brought him that's empty, he filled it. And so just to review big ideas, even godly people get to the place where we desperately need a miracle. Just because you're facing that situation does not mean you've sinned. It does not mean that God is punishing you. I think we know by now that, that suffering is not um, it, it, it meant by God to, to cause us to, 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 to be beat down. But on the contrary, it's an opportunity for us to grow. I've been thinking a bit about Romans chapter 5. I just meditated on this last night. In Romans chapter 5, he says, uh, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. If you want to feel God's love in your life, you'll go through suffering. And then you'll see him pour his love in your life because you see him showing up and doing the things that you can't do. So even godly people, we get to the place where we need a miracle. Even godly people lose sight of what's needed for a miracle to happen. And thirdly, even godly people need to remember that it's only as we pour out that we'll see the miracle take place. This is not an accident that he tells her, bring the empty vessels. God can only fill up what is empty in our life. There is a process to every miracle, and that process demands that we empty of ourselves. Think about what we bring to the table with God. So we come and we want a miracle, but we, our jars are full. They're full of expectations. 
our expectations, our desires, what we want God to do. And, and God perhaps might say to us tonight, take those expectations and pour them out. Bring that empty jar and just let me fill it with what is good for you. Maybe instead of expectations, maybe we've got a jar full of our security, our comfort. We've got those things that we think if, man, man, Lord, I, I just can't pour that out. I just, I, I just, I've got this little bit of money in the bank. I've got this little bit of extra time. That's my time. Maybe you're like, I just need that extra 30 minutes to work out if I don't do that. And maybe God's like, just pour it out. And maybe that's what's standing in the way of you seeing a miracle happen. I don't know what your bucket holds. Maybe your jar is full of your own dreams. What, what you have envisioned you want to do for God. I get caught up in this all the time. I'm like, but, but God, but God, I, I have all these things I wanted to do for you. And maybe God is asking us to empty for a moment our jars of dreams and let him give us new dreams. So many people are talking about that in COVID era that God is birthing new things, the things that we could do before. It's not even, you know, we're not even living with the same rules like we used to live. Perhaps God has given us new dreams in this season, but, but there's no place to put them if we're so, so hung up on what's, what we, we want so desperately to accomplish in our life for God. And God's saying, Man, I don't need you to accomplish that. So maybe ours is to empty. Maybe that's what we need to empty as we get our jars before God and say, God, I'm empty here. I'm empty. I'm empty of expectations. I'm empty of comforts. I'm empty of dreams. I'm, I'm empty of my own resources. I'm empty of my, my pride, my dependence on myself. Maybe, maybe something in your life that you just can't let go of and God would just say, drop it. Bring your empty jar and let me fill it with fresh oil. That's the miracle that happens in this story. It is a miracle of God's fresh outpouring into a life witnessed by the widow and witnessed by her sons. Think about those boys watching their mom, having no idea what's happening, but obeying, obeying, hoping. They were not disappointed. And little by little, God filled jar after jar after jar. By the way, it happened in secret. The woman was told, so she went from him and shut the door behind herself. By the way, it reminded me of the widow whose son died and Elijah went up and shut the door. So much of what God does in filling us and with a fresh outpouring happens in, in the privacy of personal communion. These are, if the more time you spend alone with God, the more he's going to fill you as you bring to him your empty vessels. I've been meditating on that today and asking God, God, show me where do I need to be emptied in my life? What is it that I'm so full of? I connect with this idea of expectations. I think there's so many things that we bring to the table and we judge God's goodness by whether he does those things in our life or not. What if for a change we came to God and said, God, no, I'm not gonna set the tone for this. I'm gonna trust you. A good God knows exactly what I need to be happy. A good God knows exactly how much I need to give to the people who are asking me for more. There's a point where, it, of course, in our life, there's no creditors, we're not, so there's a point and there maybe have to be some boundaries in relationship. Maybe that's the way that God will work, I don't know. But by and large, by over and over again, we'll see that as we come to God with emptiness, ask him to fill us, the miracle that he does is that he fills us afresh with himself, with his spirit, uh, and with all of the things that we, uh, that, w that will make us happy ultimately. Ultimately, we'll only be happy when he fills us with, with himself. But again, it is a process of, of coming to him with emptiness. Emptiness is God's condition for our filling. Faith is God's condition for his working. Faith simply says, God, I'm going to believe what you said, not because I see it, not because I feel it, but because you have said it. 
There's a process to every miracle and there's conditions to every miracle. The process will involve a time and hidden places and the process will demand absolute trust in God's ability to fill me up again. Tonight, are you willing to bring your empty jars to God? Are you willing to, uh, to humble yourself and admit your need and maybe even let others in your life, like the neighbor ladies, got to know that she needed? And uh, uh, are you willing to uh, do whatever it is that God will ask you to do in order to see the miracle in your life, the miracle of provision, the miracle of rest? The greatest miracle, by the way, that many of us will have tonight is the miracle of peace and rest as we fix our, our mind on God and as we empty ourselves of the worries of the world and allow him to fill us with the peace of his word. And so how are we doing in those areas? Are we applying those things in our life? Are we uh, expecting God to, to, to fill us afresh with his spirit? And are we um, rejoicing in all God uh, is doing in our lives? I bet many of you have seen these things happen already. Sometimes it just takes time to review, to think about those things. You know, um, praise and gratitude is a muscle. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. And so many people tell that, like if you've ever tried to come up with 10 things that you're thankful for, you know, people say, uh, you know, come up 50 things or 100 things. And you'll find 100 things doesn't sound like a lot of things to be thankful for until you sit down and start writing them. And I bet if you started taking time to practice that in your life and just think about all the things that God has done in your life, initially it's hard. Initially, you'll be thankful for the house you live in and the air that you breathe and the family that you have. And after about five or six or seven or maybe 10 things, you'll run out of things. But you just keep doing that, keep, keep growing the muscle of gratitude in your life, and you'll see a month from now, you won't be able to, people will have to snag you away from your hidden communion with God because you can't stop thinking of all the good things that he's doing in your life. So that's a good challenge for you too. So we've got a couple challenges tonight. Take some time and, you know, get rid of the phone, go for a walk if that's one way to get communion. Uh, think about ways to, to bring your empty jars so that God can fill you afresh and uh, gratitude, gratitude. Let's praise God for all he's doing in our life. 